This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Good morning, agents. Welcome to the briefing room here on Film Geek Radio. This is our podcast devoted exclusively to the Showtime series Homeland. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my executive co-director, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, Charlie? Not good. I've been shot. I'm sorry I had to shoot you, Charlie. <sighs> Andrew, I mean, you warned me, but you never actually do it. I always get my way. I told you I was going to shoot you if you kept walking and you kept walking. but andrew so. i always get my way you really should have given me more serious warning that you were gonna shoot me i just hope this doesn't affect your baby oh me too i mean first the lithium then the alcohol then the stress at work now i'm shot if this baby has a normal birth it'll be an absolute miracle welcome to the briefing room today we're going to be discussing episode eight of season three of homeland the episode is titled a red wheelbarrow it was written by alex gonza and james yoshimura and it was directed by Seth Mann. Uh, this is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show, you should go away, catch up on Homeland, and then come back. Uh, as always, you can email us at briefingroom at filmgeekradio.com. We also have a brand new voicemail line that you can use to call and leave us feedback. Uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on Homeland and on the podcast. Just call 336-793-2509 and let us know what you think. Uh, again, that's 336-793-2509. And uh, who knows, we might even play your feedback on the air. Uh, let's talk Homeland. Charlie, why don't you remind our listeners what happened in this episode? This is the official synopsis from Showtime.com. After new information comes to light, Carrie and Quinn pursue a key suspect in the Langley bombing. Saul deals with political backlash while Farah discovers the toll an intelligence job can take. Here's a clip. Senators made some serious allegations. Which are? That you have Majid Javadi in a safe house on American soil. And let him go. You contest that? Yes and no. What's the yes? I'm not aware of any standing order to arrest Colonel Javadi. Did you have him in custody or not? I did. Oh, Jesus Christ, Saul. We didn't just let him go, Mike. We debriefed him, turned him, sent him back to Iran. You turned him? He's ours. With no guarantee that he'll actually cooperate? He will. How do you know? Because I know the man. Because he knows the game. That is total speculation. He's right. We haven't had a whole lot of success in this department lately. Well, we have now. Giovanni's the highest-placed CIA asset in the history of the agency. He ordered and financed the attack on Langley. All the better if he did. He's above suspicion. A high-profile arrest would have sent a clear message to the Mullahs. Back the f*** down. Instead, we have a live source keeping us current on Iran's pursuit of a nuclear weapon on Hezbollah operations all over the globe. How come I never saw a finding on this? We were responding to events on the ground. The call had to be made in real time. That is horse and he knows it. Okay, Charlie, this was episode eight of Homeland. We are now officially two-thirds of the way through season three. What did you think of this episode? I liked this episode. I found it to be gripping, and I found it to be very entertaining. At the same time, I don't feel like, even when I'm involved in what's going on in this plot, 
I, I'm not getting that thrill that I got from seasons one and two. I definitely think it's effective. I think it's definitely worth watching. I think this is one of the better episodes of the season. But I'm starting to realize that season three, while it definitely is good at some things and it brings up issues that were never introduced in seasons one and two and it's tackling different subject uh, matter, I feel like while it is good, it's not nearly as uh, compelling or as emotionally gripping as seasons one and two. And while I hate to compare it to those two seasons and discredit it for that, um, I, I still do think that this show is uh, definitely worth watching. And I think that um, some twists were revealed in this episode that I found to be, uh, that I didn't see coming. Some of which I didn't see coming and I found to be interesting and some I didn't see coming, which I find to be a little ridiculous. But it's funny, Andrew, because I've, I've just been feeling the same way about every, basically every episode this season, with the exception of one or two, which is kind of like, I get, the, I get involved, but it's never like I'm fully invested as I was with the first two seasons of the show. And, uh, you know, they're definitely tackling a new formula. I mean, Brody's not around. Uh, it's more about the relationship with Carrie and Saul. And while all of that's interesting, I feel that it doesn't have the... Uh, dramatic punch that the first two seasons had. So uh, unfortunately, while I like this show, I do think this season suffers a little bit by comparing it to seasons one and two. Well, I'm glad that you liked this episode, Charlie. I did not care for this episode. Really? Because you were over the moon for the last one. I really liked last week's episode. I did not really like where things went uh, in this episode. You, you mentioned that a few twists were ridiculous. I think that's a good word. For this episode, a lot of stuff happens in this episode that are just completely ridiculous. I'm not sure where they're going. We mentioned, I think it was two or three weeks ago, there was that episode, The Yoga Play, and we talked about how that was a good episode that still kind of felt like the show was spinning its wheels, mm -hmm. uh, just kind of wasting time, even though it was a fun episode. I felt like this episode was spinning its wheels, but unlike The Yoga Play, it, I didn't find it very enjoyable. Overall, I'm not sure quite what the point of a lot of it was, but let's talk specifics. Where do you want to start? Well, first off, I just want to comment on the fact that you brought up Yoga Play, which I still think is the weakest episode of this season so far. I agree with you that in some ways it is like the Yoga Play, where it is spinning its wheels. It's mostly build up and very little follow through, but the Yoga Play mainly dealt with Carrie tracking down Dana, who fortunately is not in this episode. While I like her character, the plot lines that she's been going through this season are just dull and uh, they feel like as if they're out of a completely different show. Here, I felt like while it was a lot of buildup, for the most part, the buildup was fascinating to me. Until we get to some twists in the last 20 minutes or so, some of which I like better than others, but there's one twist in particular that while I was not expecting it, Upon uh, reflecting upon it, it just makes Mira out to be a complete idiot. And uh, if you want to talk specifics, uh, I will start off with Mira. I have defended Mira more than you have this season. I'm definitely more sympathetic to Saul's side uh, than I am to Mira's side of this affair. But first off, Mira gets breakfast in bed with Saul, which is very sweet. And then there's a scene after that where he tells her that he has to go away for a few days. And she acts as if, like, he's not going to do his job anymore, as if he's just going to stay home all the time and feed her breakfast in bed. And it just made me think, like, what do you think? He's just going to spoil you to death and he's just not going to do his job? He's the head of the CIA. 
Okay, I find it interesting that you had that response to Mira in this episode, because I actually think Mira came off pretty positive in this episode. Oh, I don't. I think that, um, well, I liked uh, the fact that she broke things off with Alan. I will give her that. Right, she breaks things off with, with Alan, and I don't think it's too much for her to expect that after she and Saul have gone through this rough time, that he would... You know, not. I don't think she wants him to give up his job, but for him to suddenly announce, oh, by the way, I'm leaving and I could be gone for as much as a week, I can understand why she would be upset by that because Saul's job and his devotion to it has been a major issue in their relationship. And it could feel like, well, now things are just going to go back to the way they were before. How does she know that things are going to be any different now? Honestly, until we find out what happens next week and what the deal is with Saul and Brody, I'm just kind of wondering, okay, Saul, did you really have to go now? I mean, I guess you did because you only have nine days left as director, but still, it, I, 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 was, I can see where Mira's coming from. It just made me frustrated because she accepts him and she sees how much he cares for her. But especially for someone who works at the CIA and is at such a high uh, position in the CIA, what does she expect? That he's just going to be able to take a vacation for two weeks? No, no, no. I mean, I think it would be one thing if he was like, oh, by the way, I'm working late tomorrow night or I'm working late tonight. It's another thing for him to be like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving tomorrow and I could be gone for a week. Yeah, I know. But like my parents are still together and, you know, my dad's not at the head of the CIA and he's an electrical engineer and there are times where he has to go to Germany for a week. Well, right. But I'm sure he tries to give your mom some more warning, you know, than just, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. Okay, I'll give you that. He doesn't give Mira any warning. I will give you that. It is incredibly short notice, which is a problem that Saul needs to learn to deal with better with his marriage. But I don't know, just maybe it was just the way it was shot where she just looked so devastated and so shocked. I mean, not so devastated and so shocked. That makes it sound over the top. But just, you know, I was just kind of like, well, duh. Okay, he feeds you breakfast in bed and he shows you how much he cares for you for a few days and then he goes away for a week. And even if it's short notice, do you just expect him to just drop everything for you? I mean, that's just not realistic to me. I don't think she expects him to drop everything, but I think she expects for there to be some indication that this is for real, you know, that he wasn't just doing all of this and being nice to her and forgiving her just so things can go back to the way they were before. You know, that there's going to be some actual progress here. That's what she wants. Oh, I, I guess it just has to do with the fact that this is also, uh, that scene is uh, followed up with by uh, the reveal that Alan is actually the Langley Bomber. No, he's not. Isn't it? No, he's not the Langley Bomber. Though the way they edit it together, it almost looks like he is. Okay, I thought he was the Langley Bomber. No, no, no. Okay, now I'm going to sound like a total idiot and as if I read spark notes for this show. <laughs> no, I did I did read uh, one review where the critic said, "Oh, for a second I thought they were implying that he was the Langley bomber with the way they edit it because Bennett I think uh, calls the bomber or Franklin calls the bomber and while they're doing that they cut to Allen and that made it a little bit confusing. But no, he's he's not the Langley Bomber. We don't know what his deal is. He's just apparently trying to spy on Saul, which is one of the things... When I say that this episode is ridiculous, that's one of the things I'm referring to. I thought that was just a really terrible twist. 
Yeah, and not to mention the scene where Mira breaks up with Alan, I liked the fact that she dealt with that and she didn't try and defend herself and uh, she ended up just walking away because she just couldn't take the fact that she was breaking his heart. She didn't victimize herself. And at first, I will say, when he said, I love you, and then he says very coldly and very robotically, I love making love to you. I'm like, okay, Alan's a dimwit, and what did uh, Mira see in him? But then it's revealed that he's spying on Saul, and I was like, okay, well, that makes sense for why he was so bad at making an excuse to get Mira to stay. But um, that just made me think even more, okay, Mira, where are you, how dumb are you? Like, your husband works for the CIA, and you can't tell that the person you're having an affair with is a spy? It just made Mira look like a total moron. I don't think it makes her look like a moron. I, I just think it, it's so out of left field. It means that Alan has been going out with her as some kind of long con to spy on Saul for whatever reason, even though Saul's not going to be head of the CIA for much longer. And even though, as I read one review that pointed out, why would Saul have important CIA stuff on his home computer? That's another good point. Why does he have that on his computer? So that's another point that uh, bugged me. And another thing, if Alan was that bad at uh, showing his affection for Mira, that and he the, the best he can come up with is, I love making love to you. I don't know what he said to Mira beforehand to get, him in, uh, to get her into bed with him. That scene implied to me that this guy is not only a fake and a spy and has been using you and sleeping with you to get information about Saul, but he wasn't even doing it in a very convincing way. That doesn't convince me that Mira saw much of anything in him other than the fact that she wanted to get laid and she was pissed off, and that just makes me really that makes me not only upset with Mira because it's revealed that she's not looking for love she was just agitated and just needed to get laid but that she clearly uh is not very perceptive and not very deep it just makes me think why would she buy this see it doesn't make me think less of Mira but it does make me wonder well what the hell was the point of this big reveal because I was fairly invested in the conflict between Mira and Saul, and you had Alan there as the third party. But now to suddenly give us this twist, like, oh, Alan has ulterior motives. I'm just kind of like, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Where's this going? I, I don't understand the point. Exactly. It feels like it's just the writers going, oh, look how clever we are without any substance behind that reveal. It's, it's just a, aren't you shocked? Well, yeah, but doesn't make any sense so that kind of nullifies the right. whole importance of the big reveal because the ending of the sixth sense for example is shocking but it goes back to all of the themes that that film explored up until that point point. and i know that's not fair because that's a completely different medium but like i don't know uh, revealing that the guy that brody killed in the first season isn't really dead and that he and brody are working together like that was a twist that had substance to it and it advanced the plot further and it made us more paranoid and even more in Carrie's shoes uh, as to what we can really believe out of Brody's retelling of what happened to him in Iraq. Here it's just it's just empty and it's just it's just for the sake of shock it's completely superficial and hollow and there's no need to because we don't even know who Alan is. Well, right. We don't know who he is. And it's just maybe like they sh- they just show him randomly breaking into the house to put all these bugs around. And I'm just thinking, well, wait, if this was your plan all along, why didn't you just do this when you were over there? 
You know, yeah. you were having sex with Mira. Why did you not find a moment to sneak away and do this? It just it 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 just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to uh, another character. I want to talk about Farah. Farah's whole little story this weekend just felt kind of meaningless to me. It's basically just her deciding not to go to work for two days because she's frustrated about what happened with Javadi. And then we finally realize that, oh, she has relatives back in Iran, and they could be in danger if, if the wrong people realize she's working for the CIA. And I was just kind of thinking, okay, just in terms of this episode, I didn't feel like that was a very compelling story. And also, how did the CIA not know this, and why... Are they not doing everything they can to make sure her family isn't targeted? Yeah. Again, it's one of those things that just doesn't make sense to me. Are the is the CIA that ignorant of their own employees and their background? You know, like, <laughs> maybe they sent over an intern and it was like his first day on the job and he didn't like even look at her file. It was just like, go ask if she's sick, but be very discreet about it. I don't know. Like maybe he was just he looked because we've never seen that character who went over to her house before either, have we? No, we haven't. If she has family back in Iran that could be used or jeopardized for some reason by Javadi, if Farah doesn't go into work, Saul should be immediately going to inquire what's going on. It should be Saul showing up at her house. Yeah. I mean, she's the, one of the few people that knows about what's going on with Javadi. So if she starts acting out of the ordinary, I feel like Saul and Carrie should notice and question that. That's a very good point, and I didn't even really think of that. I love, uh, I'm forgetting the actress's name who plays Farah. Nazanin Bonyadi. I love Nazanin Bonyadi's performance as Farah. I think that she always does a great job in the scenes that she's given. My main problem with it was that her dad is a total idiot. If you work in the bank, why are we not rich? Oh, I thought that was just a funny little joke. Okay. He's just being an old man, giving her a hard time. But he's also, not only is he a jerk, it just felt like one of those scenes where it was like, Dad, you don't understand me. Like, he's not even there to be her dad. He's just there to be someone to put her in that conflict where her occupation is revealed to someone important. It could have been anyone, from her boyfriend to her grandmother. It didn't matter if it had to be her dad. And it just didn't feel like a real character. It just felt like a scene that was built for her to uh, stand up for herself and reveal that she is an American. And, you know, that reveal I also kind of liked, actually. And then I thought that she was going to go into that, and then it just cuts away. And I was like, "Uh, what? Like, was this scene cut? It seems like she's going to stand up to her dad and that she's going to explain how doing this to protect America is important to her. And, you know, I don't want Homeland to tell us. I want it to show us. I'm not saying she has to say it word for word, but... It just felt like that scene was just awkwardly edited and cut completely short. Right, and, and I think Farah and the way that their characters are handled in this episode, that's basically how the rest of the characters are handled in this episode. And it, it, that is, it's what I don't like about this episode. It seems like all of the characters, they're either acting in ways that don't really lead anywhere, or they're acting in ways that seem completely out of left field and out of character. Like, the big plot in this episode is about them trying to get Bennett and Franklin to reveal who the real Langley Bomber is. 
And at the end of the episode, Franklin basically just turns into a professional hitman and just goes to his hotel, shoots the guy in the face, and then disposes of the body. And I'm thinking, wait, aren't you a lawyer? Well, I mean, we don't know that much about Franklin. I mean, I guess I was okay with that because we don't know much about him unless Carrie meets up with him. So, of course, he's going to put up that I'm a professional appearance with Carrie. I guess, you know, clearly as uh, proven by what I thought actually happened at the beginning of this episode. And I'm actually embarrassed to uh, say that I thought that Alan was the Langley Bomber. But I guess that I thought that uh, because he shoots Alan in the face, right? No. What? No. I don't know where... You got all this stuff with Alan. We see Alan bugging Saul's house, and then we never see him again. Oh, God, this is embarrassing. This is so... And I watched this episode <laughs> twice, and I still thought the same thing. This is so embarrassing! <laughs> and that was actually... I actually kind of thought that that was interesting, that the Langley Bomber is just this random guy who just shows up and then he gets killed off. I thought that was kind of kind of cool that they didn't make him into this really, really big deal. He's just this random dude that's expendable. Oh, I thought it was kind of cool, too, but at the same time now... I like that better because, oh, God, I thought it was Alan. Oh, God. <laughs> and I took notes on this episode. It's not like I just watched it, like, half asleep last night. Like, I, I watched it twice. I don't know how you got that. I mean, he dresses completely different from Alan. He's got a completely different skin tone from Alan. I, I don't <sighs> know how you got that. Congrats, viewers. You now learn that I am a moron. So, <laughs> 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 to be fair, I did watch this episode yesterday after an eight-hour bus ride back to Boston from Philadelphia. So, I was a little tired. I don't know what happened, but but yeah, I uh, I liked how they handled that. I just thought it was weird that now Franklin is actually this super assassin. And also, Breaking Bad has spoiled me because all I could think when he started uh, dissolving the guy in acid was, "Hey, you need a plastic tub." Oh, I thought that too. I thought <laughs> I, I agree with you. I thought of the exact same thing, which is that moment in like episode two or three of the first season of Breaking Bad, where I'm like, you know, uh, that's not going to work. Like, even if you're in a motel, uh, they're going to find out uh, who that guy is through the blood samples, and they'll probably find you through some form of evidence. So unless he knew for a fact, unless he looked up online that that hotel clearly has a tub that will not uh, melt along with the acid. Yeah, that did not look like a polyethylene tub to me, Charlie. No, it did not. That hotel is going to be pretty damaged in the morning. And, you know, while I might be really foolish in terms of who I thought the Langley bomber was, at least I know that about bathtubs. At least I know that kind <laughs> of science. But yeah, I will disagree with you that I don't think that the characters are all acting as if they're out of left field. I think some characters are more annoying in this episode than others. Carrie, for example. I don't know what the hell was going on with Carrie. I, I like I understand she loves Brody. OK, yeah, and she wants to prove that Brody was not part of the bombing. But when she disobeys a direct order to go stop Franklin from killing the Langley bomber, they even tell her over the comm, you've worked months for this. You've put yourself through hell for this, and you're about to flush it all away. And I was just thinking, they're right, Carrie. Like, I understand that you love Brody, but you're also a smart person. Yeah. You know, and the what you're doing now is just not smart. I guess what I liked about that scene, while I felt that it was contrived for Carrie's emotions to suddenly get in the way of that, um, it reminded me of uh, the fourth episode of season two, 
where Carrie goes to meet Brody for a drink, and then she suspects that Brody suspects something about why she's really there at the bar, and uh, she calls Quinn and Saul and says, he noticed something, he's going to put, you know, a glass in the window, and then everything's going to be blown, I have to go up there, and Saul and Quinn tell her, no, you're going to screw this mission up, and she has it her way, and, you know, nothing bad happens of that. I was worried that was going to happen again in this scene and I was very happy to see that Quinn actually shot her and I know that sounds ridiculous because I love Carrie Matheson as a character but I agree with you I agree with you most of the time Carrie acts impulsively and it works out and I'm glad that this time she acted impulsively and it didn't work out I'm just saying most of the time when she does act impulsively it feels like it comes organically from her character and what she's going through and what she's thinking and it makes sense that she would do that the, mm-hmm. I don't. I just did not get that in this episode at all. It felt like they were turning Carrie into just a plot device, so that I'm assuming next episode we're going to find out she lost the baby. And and another thing that I didn't like. It's okay. I might have gotten who the Langley bomber is wrong, and that he is just this guy, and he's not Alan. But it was clearly implied that this is Brody's baby now, right? Yes. Yeah. Carrie basically confirms. That it's Brody's baby, and I guess because of that shot a few episodes ago of all the pregnancy tests in that drawer, I guess we sh- we're supposed to assume that she's known about this pregnancy for a while uh, since before she slept with the Brody lookalike guy from the bar. Yeah, so not only is that stupid because she probably had, I mean, we don't know if it was protected sex or not, but possibly had unprotected sex with Brody lookalike. And then Saul gives out, they, she plans this out with Saul to go into the, you know, psychiatric ward and take all this medication and drink and get all this and get incredibly stressed out and go through all of these horrible procedures. That just makes Carrie dumb. Like, why would she not get an abortion before she decides to do this? Like, I understand that she loves Brody, but it goes back to your complaint about why did this come out of, you know, nowhere, is why does she feel so compelled to have Brody's baby? There's nothing to back that up. No, I, I can buy the fact that she would still want to keep the baby. I can buy the fact that she still loves Brody, but I can't buy the fact that she wants to keep the baby. Well, of course she does, because, one, if they get Brody back and he's acquitted... She wants to start a life with him. And two, if they don't get Brody back, this baby is all she has of him. Yeah, but... I, I can understand why she would want to have the baby and why she would delude herself into thinking that she could go through all of this and still have a healthy pregnancy. And according to the ultrasound and the doctors, the baby seems seemed perfectly healthy. Which I don't know how is possible. (laughs) I don't know how that's possible. That baby should be dead. She should have, it should have been born, it's stillborn at this point. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, yeah, she's been stressed out and she had a crazy month of lithium, but I don't know, maybe I just don't know enough about how women's bodies work during pregnancy. I I mean, yeah. To suspend my disbelief and be like, okay, I can buy that the baby could be okay. Yeah, and I can buy your I can buy your defense as to uh, the fact that it's all that she has left of Brody if Brody dies. But for Carrie, who's someone who believes in doing the right thing all the time, okay, sure, it's the last of Brody that she has left. But you're also risking the life of an infant who has no control over their life that could be born with a disability, could have uh, 
could be born deformed, could have serious damage done to it. And that implies to me that Carrie just wants to have a ba part of Brody with her, and whether the baby is hurt by that, uh, her actions uh, for her job or not don't matter to her because it's that's all about true. having a part of Brody. No, 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 that's not true because she asks the doctor, it, you know, she makes sure when she gets the ultrasound, she she asks, or she doesn't She doesn't get an ultrasound, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> well, she, she asked the doctor, you know, is the baby okay? Because this is what I've been doing, is the baby okay? She, she wants to know whether or not the baby is okay, and I get the impression that if the baby isn't okay, she would terminate the pregnancy. Okay, but at the same time, she's willing to risk that, which I still find to be kind of eh. I, I can buy that she's willing to risk the pregnancy because she's in love with Brody. I'm not able to buy that she will risk that and risk completely ruining this entire operation. Yeah, and getting shot. Right, just because she wants to see Brody acquitted. Yeah. Yeah. And now that you bring that up, you know, as much as I liked Carrie for getting shot, that her motivations uh, for not listening are far worse now that, you know, you bring that up, is that she's pregnant. Like, what if uh, Quinn missed and shot her in the stomach, you know? like Right. And I honestly do think my prediction is that next week, because they nicked an artery or whatever, I think she's going to lose a lot of blood and she's going to lose the baby. And this whole thing with her getting shot is just going to be a plot device so she'll lose the baby. And it doesn't feel like it arose organically out of her character and what her character would do in that situation. Yeah, no, I, now that you bring that all of this up, I do agree that Carrie felt very out of left field for this episode. And also, how did the guy not go and look to see what had happened? He hears the gunshot and he hears her scream and then he looks back a little bit and then just decides, oh, I guess it was nothing. Yeah, and he's not in a city or anything. It's not like he's on a street in Manhattan or Los Angeles. He's like in an empty parking lot and he's just like, oh, must have been the wind. Like, right. And, and Quinn yeah. shoots her at just the right time and at the right angle so that she falls behind a car or whatever so he won't see her. I mean, at the same time, Homeland has gotten away with stuff like that before where the timing has been perfect and we've been willing to let it slide. And I guess that I was okay to let it slide. And I guess that I was okay with this scene because we've seen Carrie act impulsively on our emotions before, but this was a time where things didn't work out in her favor. And she needs to learn that, you know, just because... She's valuable to the CIA and that she's key in how this whole scheme plays out, that she's not Wonder Woman here. She's not a superhero, you know, and I, I, I never thought I'd be happy about Carrie Matheson getting shot, but her stubbornness just got under my skin. That's because her stubbornness felt so unearned. Yes, exactly. Because it didn't feel natural for the character. It's like, what, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, yeah, the AV Club review was like, there needs to be a meme of her running and then getting shot, and it just flashes for Brody! <laughs> yeah. As, Brody. as if she's, like, waving a flag with Brody's face on it. Yes, okay, and, and speaking of Brody, that leads me to the end of the episode, when we realize that Saul knows where Brody is. He's been behind what's happening with Brody. He brings El Nino $10 million dollars. And goes to see Brody. And that's how the episode ends. And I thought that that was a cool twist. And we're used to seeing Homeland end episodes with twists like that and, and on a cliffhanger. But after an entire episode of characters either not really doing much 
or acting completely out of character. I was just kind of like, really, Homeland? This is just another twist you're not going to explain until next episode? Really? Yeah. If that twist was revealed, let's say, in last week's episode, do you think it would have played out better? I think it would have played out better if just this episode as a whole had been better. If what came before it had been better. Like, okay, we, we got the twist with Alan, where he's apparently conning Mira and wants to spy on Saul. They didn't explain that. They just were like, aha, here's a twist. Yeah. And then you've got everything with the Langley Bomber. Here's a twist. And then everything with Saul. Here's a twist. And I was like, okay, I get it. This is an episode full of twists, but you haven't convinced me that these twists matter yet or that they're connected to the story in a cool, organic way. And it's interesting that you say that, too, because most of the season has been build up. It's kind of frustrating that this season has had a slower pace and it's been much it's had much more build up than any other season and yet the pay and yet the reveals feel far less convincing which is a critical uh flaw in this season and goes back to why I'm not getting the same feel of genuine tension that I got from seasons 1 and 2 is that you know Saul's twist with uh, Brody, I actually really liked. It's gotten me intrigued as to what's coming next. Homeland's always good at doing that, but that is a valid point to bring up that after an episode where characters don't act like real people, that is a good criticism to bring up, and it's appropriate to put the show's feet to the fire there. Andrew, I keep thinking, I've kept saying on this podcast, it feels like the writers know what they're doing, and while I want to have faith that they know what they're doing, um, and while they've kept me intrigued... The more we get into the season, the more disjointed it feels, and I'm not so sure that the writers had a big, you know, outline as to how the season was going to play out, because when you look at it, you know, now Dana and Jessica are gone, and Brody's been in one episode, and now he's back, and one episode's build up, the next one's complete reveal, the next episode's complete build up, next episode's reveal, but with no context as to how these reveals make complete sense. It's very bizarre. I I will disagree with you, though, that I don't think every character is completely out of left field. I feel like Quinn is definitely the Quinn that we know from, you know, previous episodes. I feel like Farah, um, while her father doesn't feel like a character to me, just feels like a plot device. Uh, She definitely felt like Farah to me. Oh, sure. I I, I mean, Farah felt like Farah. She didn't do anything in this episode that felt out of place. I just didn't think she really did much. Yeah. It was just kind of like, oh, I'm going to sit at home and be frustrated. And then someone's going to tell me to go to work. The end. Yeah, exactly. And I did buy Carrie emotionally acting out that ridiculous uh, attempt to stop the assassination of the Langley bomber. But I guess after our conversation and uh, everything about the baby, it does make less sense when you peel back all the layers and you see that, you know, wait, what? What's going on here? And yeah, I agree with you why you would be frustrated about this big reveal with Saul and very little payoff to it. It's not a bad reveal. Oh, no, no, not a bad reveal, but the fact that it's been revealed in this episode where everything feels a little off balance and it feels, you know, these characters don't exactly seem to be the characters that we've been watching for, you know, the past few episodes. Or at least they they have the same personality, but they don't seem to have the same mindset as to how they're going to go about this, if that makes any sense. Yeah, this is the the first episode of the season where I doubt the writer's confidence in what they're doing. So would you say this is the weakest episode of the season? Probably. 
just in terms of how uneven it felt to me. I mean, even the early episodes, which were slow and a lot of build-up, they felt like full episodes of television where everything was happening for a reason. It was just happening more slowly than we were used to. Whereas in this episode, this was the first one we've seen this season where almost nothing really seemed appropriate to me. It either didn't make much sense or it felt like it wasn't going anywhere. I agree. Um, I, I know I said earlier that this felt like one of the strongest episodes of the season. Maybe I don't, you know, now that we've talked about it a little bit, I'd say I'd have to probably uh, take back that statement. It's just because you thought Alan was the bomber. You thought it was, was a great episode. I, I know. Well, <laughs> no, I know. I, that, that sounds, oh, God. Yes, listeners, I I do uh, have moments of complete stupidity, and I'm, I'm only human. You know, I'm embarrassed now because now I'm, like, reconsidering my entire opinion on that episode. The fact that the Langley bomber is just some normal guy, I will agree. That's a good twist. I guess it was just more eventful than last week. I don't feel like it was more eventful at all. Like I said last week, I thought last week's episode, a lot of stuff happened, and it all felt very organic, and it all felt very confident. Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of stuff happened last week, but I will give you that now, looking back on last week's episode, at least last week, uh, the characters' motivations made sense, and it was all very thorough, and here, well, I, you know, Senator Lockhart, I did like the scene with Saul in the room with the senator, and uh, what's the other character's name? It's uh, White House Chief of Staff Mike Higgins, yeah. played by William Sadler. I did like that scene because while Senator Lockhart is whining as usual, he's a little less uh, obnoxious here. And then the Chief of Staff's uh, reasonings for having him leave the room did make sense. That was just another nice moment where we got to see Senator Lockhart not get what he wants, which which is always nice. Yeah, <laughs> as if there are like people behind him. Like if it was a show that was a sitcom uh, taped in front of a live audience, you'd hear like cheering and like liberals for the win or something. Right, like, yeah, like the, like the past two episodes, it's either been Senator Lockhart, leave the room or Senator Lockhart, we're going to lock you in this room <laughs> while we go do other stuff. <laughs> I'm pretty sure by next episode, Senator Lockhart will uh, not have showered and he'll like have half of his suit ripped off. And his hair will be sticking up, and uh, all the characters will be like, "Go home, Senator Lockhart. You're drunk." Like, <laughs> like if that if that's how heavy handed it's going to be. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, I guess the one thing that I didn't like about this week's cliffhanger is that I feel like Homeland has had episodes where not a lot happens until the last twenty minutes, and then the cliffhanger gets you excited for what's to come next week. And most of the time, not a lot happens in season three's episodes until the last 20 minutes or so. And in this week, it's scene of Alan bugging Saul's house to the Langley bomber being killed to uh, Carrie in the hospital. And I just feel like it's it's following a very simple formula. And I'm always intrigued by this show. But this is the first season where I've been like, I'm, I'm hanging on, but I'm hanging on by a thread. I just find most of these episodes this season to be pretty slow and then stuff happens and then I'm interested and then the episode's over and then it just repeats like that all the way through. This is probably the episode where the more you look into it, the less it works. Right. Like even the stuff with Dana, while I find that to be much less interesting, even that kind of made sense to a certain extent. Right. Apart from Carrie uh, putting everything off to go find her, that I still don't buy at all. At least it tied in with the themes of the show. All right, is there anything else you would like to say about this episode of Homeland? Well, I feel like I gave it, like, a 
B minus type of review, and then I just crapped all over it. It's because I convinced you, Charlie. It's not a very good episode. Well, another thing is I feel like I'm a co-host on this podcast where I come in with my own opinion, and then your opinion always sways mine, and I never expect it to, and then I'm ending up surprised, and I don't want listeners to think that I'm just a follower who's like, oh yeah, I want to sound smart, and blah 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 blah. Honestly, uh, I've just had a very busy two weeks. This is a show where I guess sometimes talking about it, because honestly, Andrew, I don't know many people who are, I know people who watch Homeland, but I know very, very, very few people. I think one or two people who are watching the season, and I'm not even very close friends with them, so I kind of have to think of it in my own head, and it's not until I talk to you about it that I realize either some things really work or some things really don't, and I find that to be kind of fascinating, that this is a show where at least my personal experience has been, it's a show that when you talk about it, your opinion can change about an episode hours after you watch it, because that's happened to me two weeks in a row now. At first, I say I didn't really like an episode at all last week, and then I talk to you, and then I find there to be a lot more to admire about it, and now here's an episode where I found it to be much more exciting and much more fast-paced than the previous episode, but when you look into the details, uh, the dots aren't really connected. I was starting to wish that I had just let you continue believing that Alan was the Langley Bomber, so when Alan shows up next week, you you would have been really surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he not a zombie? <laughs> yeah. What is going on? He's back from the dead. Yeah. Andrew, the show's getting into necrophilia. It's really gross. <laughs> I still don't know how you got that, Charlie. If he was the Langley Bomber, why would he go out with the directors of the CIA's wife? My criticism was that didn't make any sense. <laughs> that was my that was a big criticism that I didn't even get to say from that my own perspective. And he would be the greatest con man. And the greatest master of disguise in the world. Be like, yes, I am the world's most wanted man, and I am having an affair with the wife of the CIA director. No, that's exactly what my point was, and that's why I thought it was ridiculous. But hey, at least give me this. Uh, Alan has not had lines until this episode. We were introduced to him two or three episodes ago, where he stood up from the table when Saul walked in on him and Mira having dinner. And then last week, we just saw him in bed. And this week we just see him getting dumped by Mira. And to just reveal that the Langley Bomber is some guy, I guess that's why I got confused, is they're both characters that we don't know. And I guess that's why I got confused. I don't know. I Usually I'm good with this stuff, you know? I usually am good at keeping track of characters for the most part, but I guess my brain was on autopilot or something. All right, well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of The Briefing Room. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback on the show. Let us know, what did you think of A Red Wheelbarrow? Did you like this episode? Uh, do you think that I'm being too harsh on it? Do you think that uh, everything in this episode actually does make sense? Did it, you also think that Alan was the Langley Bomber? Please give yes. us feedback on that so I don't feel like a total moron. <laughs> but see, you are going to feel like a total moron if everyone calls in or writes in and is like, yeah, Charlie, we all got it. Well, you know what? Uh, sometimes life is hard, and uh, <laughs> it's a lesson I'm going to learn, uh, certainly, because I'm already beating myself up over it. Uh but yeah, uh, make a hashtag. <laughs> if someone could hashtag about this episode, you're not alone, Charlie. I won't feel so alone in this world. <laughs> 
You can call us at 336-793-2509 or email us at briefingroomfilmgeekradio.com. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show through iTunes and Stitcher. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the program. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, The Nerdy Projectors, and our new podcast all about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Uh, Charlie, you've been reading the AV Club's reviews of Homeland. Todd Vanderwerf writes those reviews, and he came on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast last week. No way! Yeah, we had a nice discussion. Oh, that's awesome. About the show. So yeah, if you're a fan of the AV Club or of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., definitely check that out. Uh, Charlie, where can people find you online? Uh, you can listen to me and Andrew uh, critique uh, the eighth and final season of Dexter, where I get no continuities with the characters mixed up under the Avenging Angels <laughs> section of FilmGeekRadio.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at CTNash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H-91. I like how you call it a critique, since I feel like that's a very polite way to call what we do to the show by the very by the end of the season. Uh, yeah, uh, the critique is too nice of a word. Uh, we completely demolish uh, and kill that season. It's like the pinata's already been broken, the candy's all over the floor, and we're just continuing to hit the cardboard. The last few episodes of that podcast were basically nothing but complaints. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can find some of my writing at pathios.com. I recently uh, reviewed the first two episodes of Almost Human, the new Fox TV show, so go check that out. I'm also managing editor of moviemezzanine.com. Uh, I, I recently reviewed The Best Man Holiday over there, so go read that. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message to let me know you're a listener, and I'll follow you back. That'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Charlie Nash. And you're not going to shoot me, are you? This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!